0: Now is the summer of our discontent. The end of Roe vs. Wade has shaken the nation. Kansas has been gripped by an amendment vote on just that subject scheduled for next month. Political candidates circle one another like irritable peacocks, knowing that weeks or months of conflict await. Nationally, inflation has stressed households and scared investors while the White House searches for fixes. Gas prices have shot up and the new Thor movie isn't even that great. So with all that in mind, I'm here to run down the issues today with Kansas Reflector editor Sherman Smith. I'm the Reflector's opinion editor Clay Wirestone, and Sherman, thanks for being here this week.
1: Yeah, thank you Clay for for those who don't know, you're usually far less cheery than this. <laughs>
0: Um, no, but it's it's an interesting time. As I uh, said to someone the other day, it feels like we're in a little oasis of calm right now, where we've had we have kind of a big stories in the immediate past. We know that there'll be big stories in the future, but not much is happening right now, except that we know that it will be soon. So let's let's start with the. Abortion ruling, Roe versus, overturning Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs decision from the U.S. Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and then the upcoming constitutional amendment uh, vote here in Kansas. Yeah, you
1: know, I think everybody, in a sense, knew that this was coming—the Supreme Court decision—and we really knew when it was leaked in advance. But I think anybody who followed the the hearings in this case saw what was coming a long time ago and could have predicted this outcome. But you know, to to actually see the the US Supreme Court put this opinion in writing, publish it and make it happen was a I think a a sobering moment for much of the country, for much of Kansas, uh, or a jubilant moment for some certainly, but it you know it, it has galvanized voters and advocates in in ways that I haven't seen before in Kansas and there's just a, a, a tremendous amount of I think energy and activity now around getting people out to vote for the August 2nd primary.
0: Well, and I think there's
1: a couple of things that are, are important to
0: note about this August 2nd primary vote, the amendment that's that's there. I mean, one of them is that the August 2nd date was chosen very specifically and deliberately by lawmakers, you know, before we knew that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned nationally. And um the primary day was chosen, I mean in short, because there was the expectation that more Republicans would turn up for the primary elections. There'd be fewer Democrats and the amendment would theoretically have a greater chance of passing.
1: That's right. They they passed this uh this amendment to put it on the ballot in twenty twenty one and they could have called a special election at any time or they could have put it on any other, you know, election day. Um, They specifically decided to hold this vote more than a year after securing the amendment because they wanted this to happen uh, on a primary ballot in a year where there would be a lot of turnout for the governor's race and some of the other races that come up in these even number years. Uh, And they chose it in the primary and not the general election because In the primary, independents don't vote. They're not allowed to vote, typically. They can for this one specific question, uh, but they can't choose a candidate. It's also, you know, Democrats typically don't have uh, hardly any contested races, whereas there are a lot of contested races on the Republican side. There are a lot more registered Republicans, so everything favored a heavy Republican turnout on the primary. It was specifically stacked for that reason. Well, and and now,
0: Um, perhaps unexpectedly, we haven't, for for folks who had been backing the amendment, we now have that U.S. Supreme Court decision, and Kansas will uh, turn out, I believe, to be the first state to have a statewide vote on abortion rights um, since this new ruling came down.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to gauge what is going to happen here because there is so much, I think, uh, activity around kind of harnessing the rage that a lot of women feel right now about this decision. I think the, when they chose to put this on the primary ballot, they, they knew that this would be a possibility, but I don't know that they really thought through the implications of having a Supreme Court ruling right before taking a vote on this and how it could impact the turnout.
0: Well, and and we must we must say, too, like there's really that's part of, to me, what makes this moment now in early July somewhat peculiar is I don't have a sense just from looking online and talking to people that anyone really has a a good sense of the shape of the vote, necessarily how it's going to turn out. I mean, obviously, as you say, there's a lot of energy there, but there frankly seems to be a lot of energy on both sides.
1: And I, I have not seen any polling uh, in this. There, there certainly is internal polling from both sides, but they're keeping that very close to the vest. The you know, what, what we do know is that the Docking Institute uh, at Fort Hayes State University, which does a, a big poll every year, uh, this spring, they polled on, on this issue and found, uh, as other polls have found, that there is uh, a majority, strong majority support in Kansas for some sort of access. To abortion. Um, I think a lot of Kansans also want some restrictions to abortion as well. But the concern with this amendment is that it it gives the legislature kind of carte blanche to pass any restriction or even a total ban on abortion. And I think it's widely believed because of their track record, because of the the power of the anti abortion lobbying forces, that that is exactly what will happen when the legislature comes back if this amendment passes.
0: Well, and indeed, this most recent session, there was a bill introduced kind of as a trial balloon or something that that would have indeed uh, been a total abortion ban in the state.
1: Yeah, Representative Trevor Jacobs uh, introduced that, a uh, Republican from Fort Scott, I believe, um, it, yeah, it's a total ban, and it's, you know, if there was a, any doubt about whether this was an uh, in interest, there, there's certainly a support for that. So just pivoting ever so slightly,
0: although not that much because it's still an election, it's still going on here in the state, um, you know, the, with this abortion uh, amendment, it's kind of an early stage in, in kind of the marquee Race in some ways for this fall, which is we've got the big gubernatorial matchup, likely between Attorney General uh, Derek Schmidt, the Republican, and incumbent Governor Laura Kelly. Um, it's it's interesting too, I think, from my perspective, that while both of these folks are the presumptive nominees for their parties, you haven't necessarily seen a huge amount of. Firepower, so to speak, used used by either campaigns yet so far. There seems to be, uh, you know, they're kind of staying a little, keeping their powder dry right now.
1: Yeah, there, there are a couple of TV ads out from from both sides, but you know, I think they're saving the the real fireworks for after the primary. I think right now they're they're letting all of those clashes play out. So the, we'll see what happens with the abortion amendment, and then they'll really start taking aim at each other. I mean, and you can see kind of already the basic messaging, at
0: least from Laura Kelly's side, probably from Schmitz as well. Kelly has been really touting her bona bona fides in bringing businesses to the state, Mm -hmm. um, creating a good climate for economic investment, um, uh, touting her fiscal stewardship of the state. You know, just this last week, we ran a, a story from Tim Carpenter about how she was talking about the nearly billion dollars that was in the state's rainy day fund. Um, and, you know, Derek Schmidt is trying to, to puncture that as well.
1: Yeah, I think she probably realizes this is her her best opportunity of winning re-election. And it's something she set out from the start was to prove herself to be fiscally responsible in a way that the... The previous administration, the Sam Brownback administration, was not. Um, you know, we've seen balanced budgets, we've seen paying down debt, uh, this rainy day fund that's there, um, you know, eliminating the the sales tax on food, bringing in record numbers of investments uh, in terms of private businesses, expanding or building in Kansas. You know, this has really been uh, her goal from the start is to say she is the 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 one that you can trust with the state's economy, um, you know Schmidt I think is defended, has defended his position by saying it's not her it's the legislature that has made these gains, uh, and certainly it requires you know the governor to work with the legislature, particularly when Republicans control the legislature. Um, you know, maybe she doesn't deserve as much of the credit as she's taking, but that's the way the politics play out.
0: Well, I think what's interesting for me watching this, and you could see this earlier in the session when uh, Derek Schmidt was notably um, reluctant to endorse a full-scale repeal of the sales tax on food, Mm -hmm. you can see that he is, in a way, has a very similar message of kind of fiscal responsibility and trying to say— you know, implicitly say, if not explicitly say, I'm not like the last guys from my party right. who were in here. I am, you know, I'm going to be sober. I'm going to be more sober-minded than than Laura Kelly, and I'm going to tell you the real facts about about this. But it's still a, a very kind of similar approach.
1: I mean, she's playing the, the same card she did four years ago, which is... Brownback is bad, that's why you should vote for me. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much you know resentment for Brownback still exists among Kansas voters. Four years is an eternity in politics. Um, I'm also not sure how strongly you can connect Derek Schmidt to Brownback. Uh, it's not like they were arm-in-arm arm as Brownback was carrying out his economic experiment. But she can point to her accomplishments and she can say, we've had these investments. You know, we, they're trying to uh, lure a big uh, project, mystery project to DeSoto. Uh, apparently, they're, they're, um, the, the, she was able to eliminate the rating of the state highway fund, which had gone on for years. They eliminated the sales tax on food, or at least started the ball rolling toward that. It will take a few years to play out. They did this while fully funding schools, uh, securing or shoring up the state pension plan. And at the end of all of this, they have a billion dollars left over. And every every month when we get the the revenue reports, they've exceeded revenue gains yet again.
0: Well, and you and I have have spoken about this, Sherman. That in many ways, Laura Kelly, even though you know you might think from like the perspective of someone in Washington D.C., she's this kind of rare and exotic endangered species, you know, a female Democratic governor in a red state, you know, she is presenting herself and running as essentially a nonpartisan figure, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who is a technocrat, someone who is running the government well and efficiently. And that's the case.
1: I also like to point out that women Democratic governors in Kansas are as prolific as Republican men. (laughs) <laughs> well, certainly within the last, the yeah, last 20, 30 years, yeah. Yeah, 20 to 30 years. Um, so
0: then, um, OK, I should I should ask anything else about uh, Kelly and Schmidt before we turn slightly.
1: <laughs> well, again, I think it, it's going to come down to the, the gloves will come off after the, the primary and we'll we'll really see how they plan to hit each other. Yeah.
0: And speaking of hitting each other, I don't know if that's the (laughs) best possible transition, but there is a three-way race, uh, at least, for a Kansas attorney general in the Republican Party. We have um, former Secretary of State uh, Chris Kobach, um, State Senator Kelly Warren, and uh, Tony Mativi as well. Um, I'm not sure exactly on his title, Sherman, but...
1: Well, he was. Uh, he, he's the only one of the three who actually worked in the attorney general's office. He was also a long time, uh, you know, federal prosecutor um, involved in some very serious, high profile cases. Uh, and, and doing that, has you know, real experience as a prosecutor. Uh, and of course, this is a job where you're the, you know, the foremost uh, authority for the, the legal system in Kansas. Uh, Kelly Warren is a state senator who has, you know, she's an attorney who has, I think, some law practice experience, uh, but she's the one that the Republican Party has kind of thrown their support behind, Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of money and endorsements coming from groups like the Kansas Chamber to support her. Uh, I think the idea was that she had a little bit higher status or profile from her work in the legislature than Tony Mativi did because he's, just kind of more of an unknown, uh, again, as somebody who's out there, not in the political realm before this, just kind of doing the nuts and bolts work. Uh, of course, everybody knows who Chris Kobach is and probably has very strong opinions on him. It's an interesting race because in you know, the past couple of cycles, of course, he, he lost the governor's race to Lori Kelly in 2018, but two years ago, he lost in the Republican primary for the, the U.S. Senate race to Roger Marshall. Uh, and and that one wasn't even particularly close. So there's some concern, a lot of concern among Republicans about whether Kobach could win a statewide race uh, because he is so controversial, and that's why the party is really concerned in, in throwing their support behind Kelly Warren uh, and really trying to badger Tony Mativi into not you know really running anymore, just kind of go away quietly is the message uh, so that... He doesn't take any votes away from Warren. Well,
0: and it's it's an interesting situation because you have three really distinct personalities, three really Mm -hmm. distinct approaches in this race. And, you know, they all have in their own way what I'm sure they think of are really legitimate claims to running for the job, right? And in mm-hmm. Chris Kobach, obviously someone who has whatever your opinions on him, someone who's served in state government for a, a long time, someone who is, you know, known and appreciated probably by the most, uh, you know, the most conservative folks in Kansas and Kelly Warren, someone who, you know, she, she worked on kind of heightening her profile a little bit in this most recent, recent legislative session, but who has um, managed to unite a lot of establishment support behind her. And then, as you say, in the case of Tony Mativi, someone who's actually done the work.
1: Yeah, I think with Warren, what we saw in the, the past session in particular was an attempt to kind of be at the forefront of this fight to protect people from government overreach in the sense of vaccine mandates. Uh, And, of course, with Kobach, what we're hearing, again, is a lot of uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric, kind of, I mean, he's basically a a human dog whistle at this point.
0: Well, and and also with with Kobach, something I will mention in the column that's running along with this this podcast is that, you know, as we move into this post-Roe versus Wade legal landscape, uh, state attorney generals are going to have... A tremendous amount of power when it comes to how each state essentially regulates abortion access. And really, to an extent, this is going to be true whether or not the constitutional amendment on abortion passes. You know, however our state laws are written, whatever, you know, penalties or, you know, enforcement mechanisms are behind that, whoever is Attorney General will have some sort of say over that.
1: Well, I think one of the things that you would think about here would be. If the amendment passes and if the legislature is able to, you know, pass a law that bans abortion uh, and then either Schmidt would sign that law or they were able to override a a Kelly veto, you know, however that plays out, if if an abortion ban is in place in Kansas, we've already seen the Douglas County uh, District Attorney uh, sign on to a kind of pact that other prosecutors across the country have signed where they say, we're going to refuse to uphold this law. Uh, We are not going to prosecute anybody who gets an abortion or seeks reproductive health uh, services of any kind. So then it falls on the attorney general. Do you go into this county and start prosecuting these cases and how aggressive are you going to be at that? Uh, And I think, you know, that would be something to think about when you 're looking at who who 's going to prevail in these attorney general races Well, I think you can even
0: look uh, down to our down to our south down to Texas um, when you 're talking about attorney generals and um, constitutional rights, you know the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton. Was asked, kind of, in the wake of the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade, if he would uh, appeal the or he would defend the state's sodomy law, which had been found unconstitutional back in '04. Um, and he said, well, you know, if that if that came up, then yes, I would defend it. You know, Kansas also has a sodomy law on the books, uh, making you know, same-sex intimacy, among other things, illegal. Um, again, that is not controlling law because of a Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court precedent. But you could also wonder if a if a hard-nosed attorney general wanted to make some sort of test
1: case to the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, there's there's people who might be interested in that. And you had an interesting column recently where you, you questioned uh, Derek Schmidt, his campaign about this and where he stands on these issues, and didn't exactly get... A, a, a yes or no response. Well, that's right. The, his campaign
0: is actually following a messaging approach that we've seen. Uh, from other high profile Republicans. Uh, you know, there was a story in the Topeka Capital Journal that spoke to some Republican activists. They used very similar language. Uh, I've talked to some friends who have some connections with the party in the state, and they've said they've been hearing the same thing. Basically, the message is there's no concern over these other rights or these other precedents. The Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court's ruling very explicitly says this doesn't apply to anything other than the right to an abortion. Um, so, you know, move along. There's nothing to see here. But, you know, just because that's what people say doesn't mean that, of course, it couldn't be a challenge or something couldn't couldn't happen on a state level. Um, so, yeah, so Sherman, speaking of things that Either of the uh, either of us have have written recently. You actually had an interesting campaign profile recently of someone who would have taken a very different approach um, to to some of these subjects in our summer of discontent.
1: I believe you're referring to Joan Farr. Indeed, I am. Who is running for the U.S. Senate race in both Kansas and Oklahoma, which. You can do apparently. Uh, she's not the first to do this. The as long as you're a resident in a state, you can run in as many states as you want. Apparently, well, she is
0: probably the first to do so while wearing a yellow bikini.
1: Yes, uh, she is. I believe 67 years old, and her her campaign uh, image is of her holding an ass- her son's assault rifle while wearing a a yellow bikini beneath a kind of. Black fringe uh, throwover sort of thing, and I think she's in a cowboy hat, and she's, you know, promising, <laughs> uh, promising to uphold gun rights. Uh, and this, these were flyers that she printed out before the mass shootings in uh, in Texas and Buffalo, um, but she says that those shootings were staged anyway. That this is a product of Uh, satellites from space inserting microchips into people's brains so that uh, the deep state can talk to them and control their actions and they're directing them to to have these shootings so that they can justify changing laws to restrict guns. Um, There's a a lot of things to unpack there that are just not true. Um, She thinks the CIA is working in Wichita through uh, Hospitals to try to uh, kill people. Um, she, she has a lot of interesting ideas, we'll say that. She's running against uh, Senator Jerry Moran, the incumbent in Kansas. I can't imagine that race will be close, but uh, she says that, uh, she is, that he is underestimating her. I would also point out that she ran against Sam Brownback uh, when he first ran for governor in Kansas, uh, and she won 18% of the primary vote then. Well, and I will also say that since your story ran,
0: uh, she or her campaign has retweeted and reshared our coverage. So, you know, apparently we, you know, depicted her
1: to her, as much to her liking as... as <laughs> well, she asked me not to make her look crazy, and I assured her that I would let her words and, and her actions or stances, her policies speak for themselves. Um,
0: as as we're doing here now. Um, so Sherman, anything else? So we've talked about the abortion uh, ruling, uh, the upcoming amendment. Uh, we've looked at the governor's race, the attorney general's race, um, Joan Farr's uh, quest for the Senate nomination. Um, as I mentioned in my column, there's a lot of other Things kind of rumbling under the surface right now. Certainly, inflation continues to be a concern for a lot of folks. Um, just prices in general. But you know, what else are you looking at or hearing right now?
1: Well, first, I would just say that it's it's great that we are not sitting here talking about the latest. Uh, grotesque variation of a deadly virus that's killing hundreds of Kansans and overwhelming the hospitals across the state. Uh, I think the the latest report from the state showed that nine Kansans had died from COVID-19 in the past week, Uh, so it's good to see those down into single digits for a change. We'll see how long we can sustain that. Um, I think more vaccines are on the the horizon that could target some of the variations and, and be helpful. Um, and, and we're just not having these kind of drawn-out debates about ivermectin and masks like we we have in the past. Although so that's is, refreshing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's refreshing in one way. I mean, I think in, in another sense, it's still, um, for some people, certainly there is still some unease uh, as, I mean, there's no new variants necessarily ravaging Kansas right now, but certainly there are reports of, I think, BA-5 they're up to Or
1: monkeypox. You could be worried well, about monkeypox. also
0: monkeypox as well. Yeah. Um, but certainly, um, you know, widespread adoption of vaccines and treatments like Paxlovid have made COVID seem like less of a threat, at least at this at this moment, which was, is a good thing.
1: And it could be a very different conversation in uh, the winter again, when, when we know that it tends to, to be more of an issue but i would also say that you know the the pandemic is going to have is having and will continue to have a major impact on our daily lives in a number of ways for a very long time uh, you mentioned inflation and you know it's there are a lot of things that contribute to that but certainly look at how the pandemic disrupted supply chains and just changed the ways that we work and commute and, and go about our lives there's going to be a long adjustment period and we we don't know what the long-term health consequences of having COVID 19 are, are really going to mean for much of our population in the years or decades to come.
0: Well, and you were, we were speaking right before the podcast, Sherman, about just the the challenges that the education system is facing too, mm-hmm. in terms of finding and retaining teachers, and that's all very much connected to you know, what schools went through during the pandemic, and frankly, what they went through right after the pandemic.
1: Seeing nursing shortages and a lot of shortages in a lot of fields for a number of reasons. We knew that the the boomers were going to be leaving the workforce anyway, and the pandemic kind of accelerated that. I think a lot of people realized that they weren't being valued in the way that they thought they should be at their jobs, and that has changed some things. Uh, teachers in particular have been... Uh, Targeted for political reasons now uh, really intensely for the past year. You know, we could still see critical race theory uh, rear its stupid, ugly head again in this political cycle. Uh, Uh, You know, we saw uh, we have now 1,400 vacancies among uh, schools across the state. And the other thing about inflation here that people aren't talking about yet is the, the school finance agreement that finally satisfied the state supreme court a few years ago Uh, the the final piece to satisfy the court was including a a inflation adjustment at the end of this so that after the ramping up for five years we're we're just now getting to that fifth year where we are finally restoring funding to where it was 15 years ago Uh, now moving forward it's going to be based on Inflation and it will automatically increase year to year based on inflation. I don't think anybody five years ago expected that this could be an 8% increase in the, the state's largest expense. Uh, and that would certainly cause a great deal of anxiety for whoever the governor and legislators are next year. Well, I think there's, a, you know, just mentioning inflation, there's some, I mean, we
0: have forgotten a lot as a country about how inflation works and how it feels. I mean, it has essentially been 40 years since we last had substantial inflation in the United States. And the fact is, it's my understanding, economics-wise, that it's very easy to stop inflation. It is just very painful. In other words, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates to the point where borrowing money becomes much more expensive. That cools off economic activity and often drives an economy into a recession however once you do that you you then slow inflation but that is is not an outcome that many people are super eager to have happen
1: we we've, we've uh, benefited i think in in some ways from very very low interest rates for uh you know, 10 years or more since the the economic collapse in 2008, 2009. Uh, but we are seeing those go back up. And you just kind of wonder what impact that has on the housing market and how that affects everything else across the state.
0: Well, and I mean, I remember talking to my parents at some point, and they were mentioning that a house that they bought at some point in the 80s, you know, had something like a 14 or 15% interest rate. Right. Which, you know, these days still sounds wild, but, you know, could be something that happens.
1: Yeah, the, the concern now is rates are going from like three to six percent. So uh, there is that perspective to keep in mind.
0: And again, though, just to bring this back to this weird kind of unsettled time where things you know, could be bad, could be good. We're not precisely sure. We still had news this morning from the federal employment numbers that unemployment remains at 36 percent in the United States, which is a historically low percentage. We had more than 300,000 new jobs created over the last month. So you still have a fairly healthy uh, hiring pace going on. There are still are jobs for people who want them.
1: You know, the the governor said something uh, perhaps ill-advised recently in a, an appearance where she was bragging about how great the Kansas economy and and surplus is and the rainy day fund and said something to the effect of bring it on to the the threat of the recession and you know Derek Schmidt and others have seized on that comment to say that you know she's not respecting the the very real economic pain that a lot of Kansans are feeling uh, I think so much depends on what this looks like whether the economic growth can be sustained whether inflation cools off or it grows worse between now and november could have a big impact on a lot of elections the governor's race certainly but you know just how many people are going to be resentful of biden and the democrats from the national perspective and what that means for democrats in kansas
0: well and all of these things feed back into the economy right so public uh the public mood public perceptions those can Those can affect all of the other things. They can affect hiring, which can affect inflation, which can affect everything else. So with that note of total definitive truth, (laughs) uh, I think we've probably reached the end of this installment of the Reflector podcast. And thank you for listening. I'm Clay Wirestone, opinion editor at the Kansas Reflector, and we will see you soon.